it is, uh, it's, it's Sunday, and we're in church. Now, how remarkable is that? It's, it's summertime. I mean, you, we could be doing lots of other things right now, couldn't we? Uh, we could be, you know, playing golf, maybe, going for a walk, cycling, stay in, watch a telly. Not much on in the summertime, is there really? Could be doing all sorts of things. Now, why... Why bother with church on Sunday? Lots of people are choosing not to come, aren't they? Plenty of empty seats upstairs we could fill tonight. Why don't people come? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, I think. It's because uh, they don't see any point in coming. They don't see any value in coming. They don't see any significance. Why would they bother coming? In fact, they see more value, more benefit doing all these uh, other things. They don't honestly understand what a glorious thing church is. And they don't understand the work of the church. And that's why they're not here tonight. Now, um, I have to confess, I've got a very long introduction tonight. It's going to take me a while to get to chapter 16. I'm going to really waggle on the T before we hit it down the fairway, hopefully. It could go shanked off to the left or the right, who knows. But... Um, I want to remind you um, what the Apostle Paul tells us the church is. Because I think we need to remind ourselves from time to time, especially in a nice summer evening, why we're here. What is the church according to Paul? We'll come back to the beginning of this chapter. When you do some work with me, the very first chapter, you'll find this on page 1144 in the church Bibles, page 1144. And have a look at the very opening verse, or verse 2 actually. Have a look at what it says about what the church is. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is a church? What do these verses say? Have a look. What does it tell us a church is? Well, it's, a, it's an assembly, a gathering uh, of people. And it's, how does it describe them? A gathering of God's people. It's the church of God. And it's a, it's a group of people who belong to God in a particular city. Uh, they live in Corinth. Corinth that's the geographical area that they are. And, and yet they, they are God's people within Corinth. And they gather together. And why do they do that? Well, because they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Jesus has changed their lives. Here's a group of people whose lives have been changed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they've been set apart by Jesus. There's a, there's a whole crowd of people in Corinth, and Jesus worked in the lives of these individuals, and they gather together. They're the people of God, the church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy, called to be God's holy people. That's what a church is. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, we come into a new relationship with God, and we come into a, a brand new community, a family of people. They're not a biological family. They're even closer than that. They're th those that we're linked to in Jesus Christ, sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's what a church is. Now look over the page, and uh, chapter 3, verse 16, has this incredible description of what a church is. 
Paul reminds them of this. Chapter 3, verse 16. They're in danger of forgetting this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? How about that? What is a church? Well, as we gather, it's not the building. It's as the people gather. We are the, the temple of God. God's very Holy Spirit dwells amongst us, lives amongst us. And so when we gather out of whatever location that church is, we gather together as God's people, we gather to meet with God, we meet with God in a very special way. God's Spirit dwells amongst us. We experience God together in a way that we can't when we are separate. We gather for all these glorious reasons. Now, of course, it's not odd then to gather with your, with your family, is it? it? It is odd not to do that. You know, if God has called you to himself to be his holy, special people, uh, he has promised that when you gather, his spirit will dwell amongst you. Uh, it's not an odd thing to go to that place. It's odd not to. If you belong to the family, it's odd if you don't gather with your family. And of course, the main reason that people don't come to church is quite simply they don't know and love Jesus. They don't belong to God's family. There's been a lot of talk in, in the press about uh, the Church of England wiping out Wonga. Uh, I don't know what you think about that. I think it's quite interesting. But it was interesting. The BBC uh, announcer said something like this. This will help the church to seem relevant to the, to the world. Now, I doubt Archbishop Welby thinks about it like that. But of course, the church is never relevant to the world. If the world doesn't want to know God and love Jesus, and in fact are hiding from God, why would they come to church? Of course, it's irrelevant. To the world. The church is a gathering of God's people uh, that will do amazing loving things for the world. So I think actually wiping out uh, expensive credit might be a good thing, a loving thing to do in a community. But it's not to be relevant to the unbelieving world. No. What a glorious thing a church is. We are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. That's amazing. We've been changed by Jesus. We come together. That's what a church is. Now, if that's all true, let's be honest. Why, why is it that churches can be so disappointing? Right? Awesome description. Reality sometimes can seem kind of, kind of disappointing, can't it? I mean, what about all the divisions? What about uh, the differences? What about the scandals? What about... Uh, people in church that sometimes can be unfriendly and unloving. Um, does that negate everything we've said so far? And the answer, amazingly, is no. <laughs> because that was really what was going on in Corinth. All those things were going on in Corinth. Uh, there's a, I don't know whether you've heard about this whole move to start something called Messy Church. Have you seen this? I think actually it's about having a special service aimed at kind of toddlers that brings the whole family along and they kind of have little play tables and paint and, and they have messy church. It's a fun idea, you know, have it for the kids, maybe bring the families in. But the truth is, it, for Corinth, the, the church in Corinth in the first century, it wasn't just a service that was messy, the whole thing was messy. It was a messy church, a messy church messed up by sin. And so Paul wrote this letter to answer questions that they'd written to him and to address many of the, of the challenges and problems in the church. Things like disunity, quarrels, factions, jealousy, boasting, 
lawsuits, drunkenness, sex scandals, false teaching about marriage, and uh, false teaching even about the doctrine of resurrection. And if you miss the series, you're thinking, oh, why did I miss all that? Yeah, that was what was going on, a completely messy church. And what's Paul done all the way through this letter? What's he done to answer this, these problems of the messy church? What's he done? Oh, we're going to have to preach the whole series again. <laughs> What's he done? What's he reminded them of? He has reminded them of the resurrection. You're also nervous, aren't you? No one wants to give the wrong answer, do they, really? Well, look, it's not hard to give this answer. Let's come back to one ch- chapter 15. We're getting closer to chapter 16. That's exciting, isn't it? The introduction may be coming to a close. Not quite yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Have a look. See, this has been going on all the way through this letter. It's addressed this messed up church. But uh, this is a great place to land and and see it in in a specific way. Chapter 15, verse 1. Um, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the... That's what he's done all the way through this letter, isn't it? He's reminded them of the gospel all the way through. Now I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you've taken your stand. By this, what? That was the correct answer earlier, by the way, gospel. Should we all say it together? Gospel. gospel. That's what, you know, when you've got a messed up church, what do you remind people about? Gospel. The gospel, there we are. And that's what he's done. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in faith. What is this gospel? We'll look on to verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and he appeared to Peter and the Twelve, and on it goes. This is what he's reminded them of. This is something that they need to keep reminding themselves about. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to non-Christians. But Christians need to keep being reminded of this. Of what? The gospel. We need to keep being reminded of it. Do you know what? Let me tell you something about Charlotte Chapel. If you're visiting, let me tell you the truth about Charlotte Chapel. This is a very messy church. Because it's full of sinners. Sinners called to be saints. And we're in process. We've been sanctified by Christ Jesus. But the truth is, is that, uh, you know, we all let the game down a bit. We have all got this ongoing challenge of sin. We are a group of people that are still experiencing the need for ongoing salvation. You know, the three tenses of salvation? We have been saved back at the cross. We will be saved on the final day when Jesus Christ returns. And the Bible says that we are being saved. And and here is a messy church of sinful people who require salvation, who require the ongoing impact of the gospel to change the way we speak, to change the way we think, to change us in our relationships. That's what church is. Messy churches need to constantly be reminded of the gospel. Charlotte Chapel is a messy church. So what do we need? I'm just trying to keep you awake here because some of you look as if you've had a great afternoon. 
And God's word wants to remind us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and the future that he's bought for us by his blood. See, that's what the whole of the resurrection is, is doing. It's pointing us to the end of the story. Resurrection day is basically about the end of history. So when Jesus is raised from the dead, it's saying the end is coming. The end is coming soon. So what's the end that we're looking forward to? We'll have a look at verse 24 of chapter 15. We're getting close to chapter 16. It's very exciting. 15 verse 24. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead points us to this. Verse 24. Then the end will come. When he, that means Jesus Christ, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Look at verse 28. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. This is where all of history is heading. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is reminding us that the ultimate resurrection day is coming when all will, that, that, that spoils, all that destroys, all that makes life miserable and unhappy, that is going to be coming to an end. He's going to destroy all the enemies that spoil this beautiful world and creation. It's all going to end and there's going to be this glorious kingdom of God, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, and it will all be put at the feet of God the Father who will be all in all. That is where history is Heading. And Christians get this. This is what we're about. Uh, and that's why we need to be reminded about this. And practically, what does it look like for us? Well, look at verse 15. What's the impact for us uh, of this resurrection? Well, look at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Uh, we, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. We're a people who are looking forward to this day when death is over. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that that day is coming. And we're going to share the same resurrection body that Jesus has. No more corrupted, no more sagging, no more wrinkles, no more coughs, no more dying. We're going to have a glorious resurrection body like his. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Why bother with church? Why bother? Well, because we are God's people, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. We are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. We are people who have been changed by the Lord Jesus. We are people who are being transformed by this gospel that has continued to save us from our indwelling sin. We're a people who are looking forward to the final day when Christ returns and we will be changed. We'll get a glorious body like the Lord Jesus and we'll enter into this everlasting kingdom. That is who we are. That is what this church is about. We are here because the risen Lord Jesus Christ is changing people's lives. That's what we're about. That's why we're here. 
And if we believe this, then we will see that the Christian church is the most important thing. It is the most relevant thing. You know, it's, you can go cycling and walking and other, other times in the, in the week. But that's why we bother gather, because we're the resurrection people. We're the people waiting for the return of Christ. And guess what? We've got things to do. Uh, there's a work to be done. That's the application of chapter 15, isn't it? Look at verse 58. Therefore, here's the big application. If you really understand the resurrection, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what's the application? Give yourselves fully to what? The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? Let's read 1 Corinthians 16. Oh, did you see that? That was the introduction. Now we're going to read the chapter. So that was a very long introduction. Here we are. 1 Corinthians 16, page 1157. Let's look at what it has to say about the work of the Lord. Listen out for the different ways that it speaks practically about the work of the Lord. 16 verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to practice that later. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't know 
how that impacts you. But you, you read 1 Corinthians 15 and you have this most amazing, glorious truth. The end of all things, the kingdom of God coming, the resurrection of the body, the imperishable body being, uh, the perishable body being replaced with the imperishable body, all these glorious and great truths. And then he finishes the letter, now about the collection. Oh. What's with churches and their collections? What's that about? What's with the little velveteen bags? Why'd they do that? What, what's the link? Well, the link is quite simply this. Resurrection people, people who really understand that Christ is raised from the dead, and, and this is where all history is going, they get stuck into the work of the Lord. They give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. And let me tell you, the work of the Lord is very practical. It's very down to earth. In fact, it can seem very mundane. And yet, if you've really understood the resurrection, you're going to get fully involved in it. That, that's the point of chapter 16. So let me give you six things, and uh, they'll be quick. Six things about the work of the Lord. Number one, it's about giving money for the relief of poor Christians. Uh, this collection actually wasn't for that particular church. Paul had a great passion to uh, get all the Gentile churches that he had planted to support the Jerusalem church, uh, this Jewish church that was struggling. There, there was a famine going on. There were poor Christians. They were facing persecution and hardships. And Paul had a great passion that maybe the Gentile churches would show their unity and their partnership with the Jewish church by giving a significant sum of money to support them. And so through a number of letters in the New Testament, he talks about this collection. And uh, he, he wants to get them ready. They've, they've obviously, in their letter to him, asked about the collection. And so Paul gives some very practical details. And uh, it, it seems so mundane, and yet it was very significant. And so uh, he tells them, on the first day of every week. Why the first day of every week? What's the significance about the first day of every week? What happened on the first day, on a Sunday? The resurrection. These are resurrection people. Uh, you know, this is one of the dramatic things that you have to explain as a sociologist. You know, how come these Jewish people who met on the Saturday, all of, you know, thousands and thousands of years, how come they started meeting on a Sunday? What explains a dramatic change like that? Do you know what? It's, we don't like change. Nobody likes change. Even people at Charlotte Chapel don't like change. It's quite amazing. And, 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 and so change is a very significant thing. And the day changed because that's resurrection day. Uh, they met on the first day of the week. And uh, Paul says, you know, uh, as you meet on the first day of the week, um, I want you to regularly start um, putting some money aside so that when I come, there doesn't have to be a collection. I kind of find that ironic, but there we are. Uh, he, he wants them to, 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 to put it week by week so that when he comes, they don't have to put the bag around. The money's ready to go to go and give this gift. And the work of the Lord is about practical things like caring for the relief of God's people in other places. I think this is brilliant. 
Uh, this is a church that is inward-looking, infighting, divisions, conflicts. They, they, they're, all about, you know, they're actually very self-focused. And he says, now, look, if you're resurrection people, you're going to start getting some of your money and you're going to give it to some complete strangers in Jerusalem to show how thrilled you are about the gospel. Uh, put some aside. And when I come, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get some of your people to go with the gift. It's all about being financially above board. Uh, I'll write some letters of introduction and then you can take the gift. So that's the first aspect of the work of the Lord. I don't know why you go to work. Uh, if you're not on holiday tomorrow, why are you going to go to work? Well, if you're a resurrection person, you go to work in order to uh, get some money to provide for you and your dependents, your family. And then you do it basically so that you'll have some stuff left over so that you can invest it in the work of the Lord. And um, that's why we take up collections. You know, That's why we, we still do the velveteen bag thing. It doesn't have to be a velveteen bag. A lot of people do it kind of through standing orders in their bank accounts, which is really helpful. But, you know, every communion Sunday, there's, uh, there's boxes on the way out. It's the retiring offering. And it's used to help provide help for people who uh, are struggling financially within our own fellowship. And quite regularly, we are, through our missions budget, supporting works in very poor countries that are providing for needy people there. We support Compassion. We support Tear Fund. that are doing great work of, of relief, caring for Christians around the world. And, and that is part of the work of the Lord that we give ourselves to. Uh, the mundane thing of giving money. The resurrection people do it in faith. Do it knowing that they're investing in the kingdom of God. Second thing that we do. Uh, the work of the Lord involves preaching and teaching in verses 5 to 12. He mentions his own uh, visit. He mentions Timothy. And he mentions Apollos. Uh, what is the one thing that uh, messed up church needs to keep being reminded of? The gospel. You haven't forgotten, have you? Or you're just, you're just, you're just tiring. What is it? The gospel. the gospel. And the gospel is a message. It's communicated. It needs to be taught. It needs to be preached. It can be communicated writtenly, I guess. But it, it, it predominantly is, is communicated through speech. And um, in the early church, it seems to be that there was a diverse group of pre preachers and teachers. And Paul writes them and says, you know what? If you get the resurrection, you're going to be people who receive ministry from gospel ministers, from gospel pastors. You're going to receive them and you're going to support them. Uh, he says about his own plans. He'd love to spend a good long while with them. And yet, there's this amazing door of opportunity that happened, to, happened in Ephesus. No doubt, he was seeing lots of people getting saved. And, and there's, there's, there's uh, opposition at the same time. But th th while there is uh, a harvest taken in Ephesus, he can't quite get there. But he wants to visit them and, uh, so that they would be able to kind of um, help him. Uh, verse 6. Uh, so that you can help me on my journey, which I kind of is saying, you can support me on my next leg of the gospel witness. The work of the Lord is preaching and teaching and speaking God's word. And so when we're committed to the work of the Lord, we're going to be committed to receiving a diversity of gospel preachers and supporting them. Um, in Corinth, they were kind of getting divided. Some people like, you know, Paulus. Some people like... Paul, so, you know, uh, uh, and there were little competitive things breaking out. And Paul knows they kind of would have liked Paul to come, but he's not going to make it, so he tells them about Timothy. He says, now look, um, 
if Timothy comes, verse 10, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever warned anyone coming to Charlotte Chapel in that way. Uh, Paul Mallard came when I was away. I didn't say, Paul, when you come, uh, I hope the church won't frighten you. Now, why, why, why does he have to tell him not to frighten Timothy? Well, because actually they don't really want Timothy. You know, Timothy comes over as, as the younger associate of Paul. Maybe he wasn't such a great preacher. Maybe he was a bit dull. But you know, he was a faithful preacher of God's word. And Paul says, look, accept him. He's doing the work of the Lord just as I am. Now, I love this. I don't think I'm the most scintillating speaker out there. Uh, every week I sit in the study, I think, oh, I'm so boring. I don't, I don't, I, uh, but do you know what? If you keep asking me, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and, and, and we need to receive the, the variety of, of, of men that God gives to be preachers and teachers. I love that we've got a teen ministry here. I love that from time to time we invite other people to come in and preach here and we can encourage them by giving them a gift as they head on their way. Because the work of the Lord is about gospel proclamation and we are people who want to be behind gospel proclamation and we're going to financially support people who do that and we're going to welcome them and we're not going to scare them when they come and we're going to thank them and encourage them on their way because that's what resurrection people do. Uh, thirdly, uh, resurrection people who give themselves the work of the Lord have to have a courageous commitment to the gospel and love. Look at verse 13. It was surprising, wasn't it? It came out of nowhere. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. What does that sound like to you? It's kind of military, isn't it? Uh, and why does he suddenly come out with this? I don't know. Maybe it's because he's thinking, I'm, I'm not going to be there for a while. And then thinking about Apollos, which ironically, they, the guy they really wanted to come was Apollos. And he says, Apollos isn't going to come. Anyway, let's move on. Um, and maybe he's thinking, well, it's going to be a while before someone goes there. And so he just urges them, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. To, to, to engage in the work of the Lord requires a courageous commitment to the gospel. When Ross said earlier, um, could you give an hour a week? He said this morning quite differently. He said, can you give an hour a week to help? And people think, oh yeah, I could do an hour a week. To do leafleting, people go, mm, nope. <laughs> nope, really, really busy. It was all fine until he mentioned handing things out on the street. Now, let me tell you something. To engage in the work of the gospel... Um, how much courage does it take to go like this? Uh, would you like to come along to one of our events? Does that involve a lot of courage? For some of you, it does, doesn't it? You're terrified, witless. You think, oh no, throw me to the lions. <laughs> but don't let me do it. No, if we're going to be committed to the gospel, we have to take our stand in this city. We have to be unashamed of this message that's of first importance that Christ died for our sins that he was buried and that he was raised that he's coming back again we know that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world that's perishing but actually it, to those who are being saved it is the very wisdom and the power of God but you know we need people to have courage to stand up for this gospel in this city we need men 
of courage. It actually singles out the men. I think it's because women are more courageous sometimes. Men of courage. Be strong. Step up. Are you going to be involved in word life? Two weeks where we can like, do a, like an exciting beach mission together without the beach. <laughs> We'd have to go anywhere. You wouldn't even have to get sand out of strange places. And we can do this together for two weeks and you can get involved. Are you involved? Have you taken some leaflets? Have you thought about inviting somebody? It is not the most difficult thing you're ever going to get asked to do. Be courageous. Be strong. In a messed up church like Corinth, they needed courageous men willing to lead and confront sin. Willing to say, actually, do you know what? That, that relationship you're in is immoral. It's wrong. It needs to stop. Resurrection people need to have bold courage to stand firm for Christ. And it's a courageous love. Do everything in love, it says, doesn't it? Do everything in love. Um, all that we do as a church, whether it's confronting sin, whether it's proclaiming the gospel, is all done out of love. There's nothing scary about Baptists. It's all voluntary. But we do want to hold out the gospel. If you don't know the, the gospel, if, you don't, if you're not trusting the Lord Jesus, come and speak to us. That's why we're here. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ even tonight and you can be saved. A courageous commitment to the gospel and love. Fourthly, recognize and submit to gospel, uh, to, to recognize and submit to devoted gospel workers, which is in verses 15 to 18. This guy, Stephanus, turns up where Paul is in Ephesus. He's with two dudes. One guy's called Lucky. That's what Fortunatus means. All right, Lucky, come on, Lucky. And the other guy's called Achaicus, which means the guy from Achaia. Lucky and the guy from Achaia. Uh, probably slaves, freed slaves, part of his household. Now, Stephanus is, uh, is, is just an amazing guy. He, he was one of the early converts, it says there. One of the first converts when Paul went to Corinth to preach. And he got the gospel he received it, he believed it, he took his stand on it, and he said, this truth is so important that I'm going to open my home and it's going to be probably the place where the church started meeting. Look at this man. When you really get the resurrection, you will fully give yourself to the work of the Lord. And look at the way that he does this. Uh, verse 15, And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. That's what resurrection people are like. They give themselves to the work of the Lord. They devote themselves to the service of the saints. Now, who are the saints? Us. It's not special people that the Catholic Church dobs them. I think we're all, remember, we're the sanctified ones, the ones holy, the set-apart ones. And, uh, and, and we're messed up sinners, but we're called to be saints. And uh, when you get the gospel, you're going to care for the saints. You're going to serve the saints. And he, he devoted himself to that. Now, uh, are you plugged in here at Charlotte Chapel? Uh, we've got lots of people who come Sunday by Sunday and they're kind of dating us. They're kind of going, I really like you. I like hanging out with you. But don't, you know, don't want to commit to being gospel partners with us. And, and if you've been here a long time, we love you. Come on board. Get stuck in. 
there are, there are literally hundreds of ways that you can be involved in the work of the Lord in this church. Older people need lifts to church. People need help on the door, welcoming people, refreshments, Sunday school. I mean, there's, you know, a big church has lots of things to do, and there's lots of ways that you can devote yourself to serving the saints. That's what Stephanus did. And what Paul says about people like that, I urge you, brothers, verse 16, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. A very good thing to work out how the real leaders are is find out who are the ones who are devoted to serving the body and the ones who are working hard in the fellowship, who've got the gospel, who understand the resurrection, who are living it out. Uh, those are the people that you want to follow. Uh, those are the, the examples that you want to go after. And you should recognize and submit to those sort of gospel workers. If someone like that says, hey, can you help me out with that? Get behind them. Get stuck in. Learn from them. This idea of recognizing, this idea of honoring, um, rejoicing in them. And uh, we, we, we praise God that we have many like that in this fellowship. I thank God for that. Lastly, and to finish, I want to point out that this work of the Lord is the work of the Lord. Uh, look at uh, verse 22 to 24. Well, before we get there, let's look at verse 22. Notice with me that there's no middle ground here tonight. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. Why bother with church? Well, because there's no middle ground. There's no religious neutrality. You either love the Lord Jesus and long for his coming, or you, you don't love the Lord Jesus, and you're still in rebellion against God, and God's curse is on you. We all belong to God. He created us. He deserves our worship. He deserves our lives. He sent his only son to die on the cross. Well, he sent his only son, and what we did is we put him on a cross, which is the ultimate sign of our rejection. And we're all under the curse of God if we continue in our rejection of Christ. But all who repent and trust Christ will experience this forgiveness that he brought through the cross, will experience our forgiveness of sins. And we'll experience this amazing, transforming grace. Have you received that? It's freely on offer tonight. What explains this church? I had an email from a guy uh, in, in, um, in America. He'd been here a few weeks ago. I was on holiday. He had a, I think it was a pastor called Buddy or something like that. Only an American could have a name like that, really. And he sounds a very nice guy. But he... Um, he said, now how come, how come Charlotte Chapel's still going? Like it's an old church, how come it's still going? What, what explains this church? What explains Word Alive? What explains all the works and ministries of our congregation? Well, nothing less than this, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he is changing and transforming lives today. And we are here today because we are being transformed by, the, by his grace. The work of the Lord is the work of the Lord. He sustains it by his amazing grace. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. That's how he finishes his letter. That's what gives him hope for them. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. If you're discouraged tonight, your life looks really messy with sin, don't be discouraged. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can be with you. We have a gospel of change, transformation, hope. And we know where history's going and where the church of God, how cool is that? Let's praise him.